Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. He may have stepped back from public life, but the spotlight is about to be firmly fixed on Prince Andrew. Be in no doubt, this was a significant setback for Prince Andrew. A big court day for Prince Andrew. Today's ruling means the case will move forward to a trial. Not only is he facing a sexual assault trial in America later this year, but Prince Andrew, who denies all charges, will have to defend himself as a private citizen. He's no longer His Royal Highness. The website of the royal family now refers to him in the past tense, and the social media accounts for the Duke of York have disappeared. And on Wednesday, as Prince William was visiting a museum, this was his response to a question about his uncle. Your Royal Highness, can I just ask, do you support Prince Andrew? He waves the question away. He really doesn't want to talk about Prince Andrew as his handlers whisk him away. Meanwhile... Lawyers for convicted sex trafficker Ghislaine Maxwell are asking the court for a new trial. Ghislaine Maxwell's lawyers, they have officially filed that motion. In America, Prince Andrew's old friend and now a convicted sex trafficker, Ghislaine Maxwell, is fighting for a retrial. It's a huge long shot. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, Prince Andrew and Ghislaine Maxwell. What happens next? It was a shooting weekend. A shooting weekend. Just a straightforward, straightforward shooting weekend. And taken Beatrice to uh, a Pizza Express in Woking. Going to Pizza Express in Woking is an unusual thing for me to do. Took a photo and your arm well, is round I, her listen, waist. I don't remember, I don't remember uh, that photograph ever being taken. Categorically, I don't remember meeting her at all. I'm Will Pavia, I'm New York correspondent for The Times. Everyone, I think, will remember Prince Andrew being interviewed on Newsnight in 2019. I mean, it was excruciating. I don't sweat, um, or I didn't sweat at the time, because I 
um, ha had suffered what I would describe as an overdose of adrenaline in the Falklands War when I was shot at. Do you regret the whole friendship with Epstein? Um, uh, now, uh, still not. Is there a chance we might see him back in front of the camera, being put under pressure as part of a US trial? There is. So he is being sued by Virginia Giuffray for sexual abuse and battery. So the allegation is that Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell trafficked Giuffray to Prince Andrew and, and that Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell obliged Virginia Giuffray to have sex with Prince Andrew. He has tried to have this case dismissed, but that attempt failed. Today, the judge ruled Prince Andrew's motion to dismiss the complaint is denied in all respects. It's now going ahead, this, this civil case against him. And as part of that, Virginia Giuffray's lawyers, who include David Boyes, who's one of the most fearsome trial lawyers in America, one of the, certainly one of the most noted, and, and has a particular reputation for being very, very good at deposing and cross-examining witnesses, he will seek to take a deposition from Prince Andrew. What exactly is a deposition? So a deposition, it's really an interview on camera with your attorney and attorneys for the other side interviewing you about what you say happened in, in the case. During a civil case, each side takes depositions. These are recorded and these can then be admitted at trial. So clips of these depositions can be played for the jury. I'm not sure if we will actually see video footage of Prince Andrew being deposed. I'm not sure if that will ever be released to the public, but it will certainly be played if he is deposed and if this trial goes ahead and if it's not settled, then footage of a deposition would be played to a New York jury and it would be seen in, in a federal court. And if it does go ahead, I mean, does he have a choice in this deposition? Or is it, is it just a matter, a path of the course? They can't force him, but if he is going to fight this case, then he has to give a deposition. And if he doesn't, then it will be noted by the jury. And the judge may even decide to make a judgment against him because he's refused to give evidence. Now, Jeffrey Epstein, who, of course, the allegations against Prince Andrew relate to Jeffrey Epstein's sex trafficking organisation and, and the allegations against him. So... When Jeffrey Epstein was facing these allegations and civil suits. Do you solemnly swear the testimony about to give away the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth to help you guide? Yes, I do. Could you please give us your name? Jeffrey Epstein. So they would ask him a question. He would plead the Fifth Amendment uh, against self-incrimination. My attorneys have told me I have to assert my Fifth Amendment, Sixth Amendment, and Fourteenth Amendment rights of the U.S. Constitution. But it never looked very good. I mean, it looked like he was worried that he was going to incriminate himself. And, and that's the, also the assumption that the jury would probably draw if Prince Andrew tried to do that. You're invoking your Fifth Amendment rights to each of these questions because you know that your answers will incriminate you and you feel uh, that it will result in you being prosecuted for these crimes. Isn't that right? Objection argumentative, harassing, and calls for a legal conclusion. No, in fact, the Supreme Court recently said that the Fifth Amendment right is there to protect the innocent. So it's, it's a very tricky position for him. Mm, very hard to avoid a, a deposition. And just, I mean, spell it out for us. What exactly, if it does go ahead and if he does have to do a deposition, what exactly would it look like? Because, you know, we'll all have memories of that, what must have been what, an hour-long interview, and that was pretty painful. 
What would this be like? Well, I think it would be a lot worse. Basically, the, the way that depositions normally work is that they are taken in a lawyer's office. This deposition can go on for seven hours. That's the normal <laughs> default position. So you have seven hours to wow. question the person. That doesn't include breaks. And the other quite interesting thing is that while the attorney, your attorney, can jump in if he feels that a question is improperly phrased or is or is in other ways improper and can register an objection, the attorney can't guide you on how to answer the questions. If there's any sense of that happening, the other side will protest. So in the case of Ghislaine Maxwell, she took a break, David Boyes then protested that the lawyer was probably trying to guide her during that break. And at some point she asked to go to the lavatory and he said, you can go as long as the lawyer stayed in the room with David Boyes. <laughs> so it's it's one of those things, you're, you're on your own. And I mean, David Boyes has taken, there's a famous case where he took a deposition from Bill Gates when David Boyes was representing the US Department of Justice in a case against Microsoft. It was a monopoly case. Mr. Gates, is the term proprietary API, a term that is commonly used in your business. Let, let me give you All I'm the, trying to do is get the an common meanings question. that those words could have, and, and then you can pick one of them and mm -hmm. ask me a question about it. No, it I'm do you want me to define proprietary API or not? No, I don't want you to define proprietary API. I didn't ask you to define proprietary API. I asked you a simple question. I mean, Bill Gates looked like a pretty tough person to interview. Now, I'm prepared to sit here as long as you want to to answer questions that I haven't asked. Now, this is a simple question. You can say yes, no, or it is used in lots of different ways. He's a pretty lethal lawyer in terms of taking people's depositions. And his view of the Newsnight in interview, incidentally, was that Prince Andrew was handed a lot of softball questions and that he certainly wouldn't be giving softball questions to Prince Andrew if he was doing the interview. Wow. So this is a, a fierce attorney. Doesn't yes. have to be polite for seven hours and Prince Andrew's on his own. Yes. Yes. I mean, that, that is the size of it. And if even if we don't get to see the, the 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 video of it itself, if we don't get to see clips, would the transcript be available for everyone? Would we be able to read in black and white everything he says? I think so. Now that in it, all of this depends on what happens with this case. If this goes to trial, I believe that parts of these depositions can then be placed in evidence. So that's when we would see them. I'm not sure if we would immediately get the whole thing. That's something that's slightly less clear. But it's certainly on file. Yes. And if it does go to trial, do we have a sense yet of what Prince Andrew's defence will be? Yes, we have some sense of it. Essentially, his lawyers are going to argue that Jeffrey is not a credible witness, that her story has changed over time. And they are also going to suggest that she was in fact trafficking underage victims for Jeffrey Epstein while she herself was an adult. And that her story that she was a victim of trafficking was made to deflect possible blame that she might have faced for her own role in the trafficking organisation. And we've also seen recently the defence have asked to depose Judith Lightfoot, who was a doctor who treated Jeffrey, and it would be to question her on the extent of her injuries and the consequences of any childhood trauma and abuse that she suffered because Jeffrey says that she was actually sexually abused and trafficked before she fell in with Epstein and, and Maxwell. They said they would like to ask her about uh, any emotional or psychological harm that she suffered and any possibility that she had false memories of her 
interactions with Prince Andrew. So all of that is something that they're seeking to bring out. And I mean, it's it's, it's not that dissimilar to what Ghislaine Maxwell's lawyers tried I was to going do. To say because this this didn't play out very well when when it was used in the Ghislaine Maxwell trial. No, and 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 Dufresne's lawyer David Boyes actually made the same point that this this didn't work for Ghislaine Maxwell, and and he thought it wouldn't work for Prince Andrew. That the hope is for for Andrew's lawyers that they can try to show inconsistencies in in the record. And I suppose we ought to mention that the initial line of defence, which seems to have failed, was that Dufresne had already been paid off effectively. Yes, well, that was a motion to dismiss the case. Andrew's legal team have unsealed the 2009 settlement Jeffrey reached with sex predator Jeffrey Epstein. It shows she received $500,000 and that she would not involve parties associated with Epstein, including, quote, royalty. Essentially, after Jeffrey Epstein pleaded guilty to state charges in 2008, which came under a very generous plea deal that he agreed with prosecutors, all of the victims of Jeffrey Epstein were notified that they could bring suits against him. And one of them was Virginia Dufresne. And that was in 2009. She brought a suit against him, alleging that she was trafficked by him and that he also possessed pornographic photographs of her. That case was settled for $500,000. And in the settlement agreement, there was a, a release clause which said that other potential defendants were also released from liability or any further lawsuits. And Prince Andrew's lawyers basically argued that he was one of those potential defendants. It was a rather topsy-turvy situation because they were busy arguing that he was a potential defendant in that suit. And Jeffrey's lawyers were arguing that actually he wasn't. And the court had no <laughs> jurisdiction over him at the time. And essentially, the, the judge agreed with Jeffrey's lawyers. The judge also said in a footnote that he thought that actually while Andrew could perhaps seek to argue that he was a potential defendant in a lawsuit against Jeffrey Epstein in 2009, he perhaps wouldn't want to make that argument before a jury. And so oh, that's a very good point. <laughs> it's, um, that's not the best way to start a trial. No, no. And so, I, I mean, I, I was talking to a lawyer about that, that footnote, actually, and he said that that looked to him like a very strong nudge from the judge that actually you ought to try and settle this case before <laughs> before it goes to a court. But yes, yeah, so so no, the, it was dismissed because the judge decided that he wasn't actually one of the potential defendants in in that case, and that who was covered by that release agreement was up to Epstein, who's now dead, and Jeffrey, who says that he wasn't that Prince Andrew wasn't covered by it, and so his effort to get the case dismissed failed. I mean, I'm not a legal expert, but it does sound like this trial, if it happens, will be very messy for Prince Andrew. What do we know about his lawyers, the people representing him? So he has hired, besides his UK lawyers, he has hired Andrew Brettler and Melissa Lerner. Now, Brettler is a sort of Hollywood lawyer who has represented various famous Hollywood actors who have been accused of, of sexual impropriety. One of them was Army Hammer, and so he's he's that's his background. I was talking to a quite well-known lawyer recently who said that Brettler and and Melissa Lerner were lawyers who represented the kind of clients that she normally sued for sexual abuse. So it's oh, an it's an interesting choice. I mean, perhaps the feeling is that that they have a lot of experience dealing with these kind of cases. But I have heard people say, you know, wonder why Prince Andrew opted for someone like that, who's a slightly kind of a tack dog lawyer from Hollywood when he is up against David Boyes, who is a legal titan, 
who deals with both corporate cases. I mean, David Boys was at the center. He, he represented Al Gore in, in Bush versus Gore in 2000. He was at the center of a very crucial case that helped pave the way for marriage equality. Wow. And he, he's, he's been in the center of a lot of fights. He, you know, he's, he's had his own problems as well. He represented Harvey Weinstein and he was also tied up in, in he represented Elizabeth Holmes in the Theranos case. On the other hand, he does have a reputation as one of the great American lawyers of the last half century. And he's been practicing law for 50 years. The other thing about him is that he's representing Virginia Giuffre pro bono. And so she doesn't have legal bills to worry about in the same way that pro perhaps bono. he does. Yes. That's interesting for such a, an already well-established lawyer. I mean, why do we think he's doing it? Well, uh, you know, the sceptical fellow lawyer answer is that he wants to clean up his reputation and reestablish his legacy as this great American lawyer after, after his, Harvey after, Weinstein yes, and after being, Elizabeth Holmes. Exactly. I mean, in fairness to him, he did take on Virginia Giuffre in 2014 and his company, Boris Schiller-Flexner, had previously dealt with sex trafficking um, and sexual abuse cases which they had taken on pro bono. So what he says is that Virginia Giuffre's lawyers in 2014 were basically aware that they needed a lot of resources and they looked to Boyce Flexner as a big firm that could perhaps provide those resources. And so that was when David Boyce got involved. So that's, that's his version of it. And in terms of his client, I mean, what do we know about Virginia Giuffre. I know you've been looking into her a bit recently. What do we know about her? Well, so Virginia Giuffre was born in California and she grew up in a very rural bit of Florida. She had a very happy childhood, according by her own account, until she was about seven when she says she was sexually abused by a family friend. She said that had a really devastating impact on her. And when she was 14, she ran away from home and she ended up in Miami Beach where she was picked up by someone named Ron Eppinger, who was running a sort of escort business and is later prosecuted uh, by the FBI for basically bringing people in from overseas and, and, and using them as prostitutes. And so she's tied up in all of this and she says she was sexually abused by Eppinger as well. When the FBI prosecute Eppinger, she is, is, is questioned and then she goes back to her family and she's trying to get her life back on track. And she says that when she was 16, her father by this time is working at Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago club in Florida, in Palm Beach. And he, her father's a maintenance man and she's hired as a locker room assistant. And it's there in 2000, in the summer of 2000, that she meets Ghislaine Maxwell, who tells her that she, she knows this very wealthy guy who needs massages and needs a masseuse. And if she'd like to be a masseuse, she could come and give this guy a massage and it'd be very well paid and there'd be travel. So she says that she was brought to Jeffrey Epstein's Palm Beach mansion and that Ghislaine Maxwell herself then instructed her on what to do. So is this all at the age of 16? So it's the year that she, it's the summer that she turned 17. So it, she seems to have encountered Maxwell in the early summer, so when she was 16. And we have since gained some corroborative evidence from the trial of Ghislaine Maxwell, where a former house manager of Epstein's Palm Beach mansion remembered Maxwell accosting Virginia Giuffre outside Donald Trump's club. And also remembered her being brought to the house quite frequently after that. And we also had a pilot who remembered Giuffre travelling on Epstein's jets. So Virginia Giuffre says that she's, she's picked up and, and she ends up 
essentially working for Epstein, giving him these sexualized massages and being paid for that. And she says that she then starts traveling with Epstein and he also starts getting her to give these sexualized massages to other men. And she names a series of prominent men who she says that she was essentially forced to have sex with. And eventually she will name Prince Andrew as one of those men. He knows what happened. I know what happened. And there's only one of us telling the truth. And I know that's me. She says that this happens to her between 2000 and 2002. It didn't last very long, the whole entire procedure. It was disgusting. Um, he wasn't mean or anything, but he got up and he said thanks and walked out. And I sat there in bed just horrified and ashamed. Towards the end of 2002, Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell say to her, she's just about to turn 19, and they say that they'd like her to have a child for them, have Jeffrey Epstein's child. The child will be essentially theirs. This this is the allegation that she, she, she later makes. She says that this is when she decided she wanted to get out, and Epstein sends her, she says, to Thailand to pick up another girl for him. She says that she she's admitted being involved in recruiting young girls for Epstein. And while she's there, she meets a kickboxer named Robert Giffray, who's an Australian, and she falls in love with him and they, they marry and they move to Australia. She calls Epstein and he says, have a nice life. She's then contacted by the FBI and she's also contacted as, as a possible victim of Epstein and told that she can sue him. And so she then does that. And then from about 2011, after Epstein is, is released after serving an extraordinarily short sentence, she makes these allegations that both she was abused by him and that she was also trafficked to other men. And then when Ghislaine Maxwell calls her a liar, she sues Ghislaine Maxwell for defamation and that case is settled out of court. But wow. that case against Ghislaine Maxwell was quite important because it generated all these documents. They deposed all these witnesses, including Maxwell herself. The deposition that Maxwell gave gave prosecutors in New York a reason to charge her with perjury, which gave them something to start building a case against Maxwell with. And so that was almost quite important, that case. And Maxwell still faces those perjury charges. So Giffray has played a pretty significant role in everything that's happened since. And has Giffray actually had to appear in court yet? I mean, do we think she'll want to go through a trial process? Well, it seems that she does. She hasn't appeared in court. The case against Epstein was settled out of court. The same is true of the Maxwell case. It seems as if she wants to testify. I mean, during the Maxwell case there was a question over whether she would be called as a witness. She actually wasn't called as a witness, which raised all kinds of questions and which Prince Andrew's team will no doubt try to say went to her credibility, the fact that she wasn't called. But she was willing to testify. She seems to have gradually got more and more interested in speaking out about what happened to her. It was a wicked time in my life. It was a really scary time in my life. I had just been abused by a, a member of a royal family. Because presumably she will be grilled and it, you know, it won't be pleasant. But, you know, she'll be asked about having trafficked girls herself and for the role that she's played. Yes, I don't think it'll be at all pleasant. I think it'll be, a, you know, and, and it'll be quite messy. But she's shown a willingness to, to take part in that. Now, of course, there's, you know, you wonder if she was offered a very good settlement, whether she would just take it at this point. Her lawyer, David Boyce, has said that she's not really interested 
in settling unless there's an admission of liability. Usually when, when these cases are settled, neither side admits anything. And, and you can't imagine that Prince Andrew would be willing to, to settle, perhaps, unless there was something saying that he, he didn't admit to her charges. So it's, it's hard to say. So, Will, as things stand, do you think we are heading towards a trial? I mean, it looks like it at the moment, and the judge anticipates there being a trial between September and December. So it's all happening fairly quick. Coming up, what next for Ghislaine Maxwell? But first... This is Stig Abel and Asma Mir. We present The Breakfast Programme on Times Radio every Monday to Thursday from six o'clock. We talk to the leading politicians in the country. We go all around the world. We have a bit of a laugh. And we can only do that thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. So subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Last year, a Turkish cult leader was sentenced to over a thousand years in jail. There is only one purpose in life, and it's love. But what happened? Everyone is ready in the world right now to believe anything. The Messiah and His Kittens. A new four-part series beginning this Friday, here on the Stories of Our Times podcast, with me, Louise Callahan, the Middle East correspondent for The Sunday Times. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And this is all happening as Ghislaine Maxwell is making a last attempt to avoid prison. Just update us on on her case. Where where has it got to? Well, Ghislaine Maxwell faced six charges and she was convicted of five. And these included sex trafficking charges. So she was convicted in late December. She now faces sentencing in June. But after she was convicted, one of the jurors in the case spoke publicly to a reporter There were tears. The emotional toll that it took on all of us after spending a week combing through all of the evidence, all of the testimony again, was, it it was brutal. And said that he was a victim of sexual abuse as a child and that during deliberations he had 
talked of his his own experiences to other jurors who were wavering about Maxwell's guilt. They, the other jurors were apparently worried that some of the victims in Maxwell's case hadn't come forward with their stories sooner or that they had discrepancies in their memories. And he said that, you know, you don't always come forward to report this kind of thing at the time and that you remember the core memory of the abuse itself, but you might not remember certain details around it. So he was sort of able to settle their doubts. Now, all of this would be fine, except it appears that he may not have indicated on a jury questionnaire that he was a survivor of sexual abuse. There was a specific question in the questionnaire that asked if you or one of your family members was a victim of sexual abuse. And if you ticked it, there were follow-up questions, essentially designed to check that you didn't have any particular bias against the defendant. The judge had set up a whole system where people who answered yes to that question could actually be questioned about this you know, very private and very sensitive matter in private. But as soon as this juror, who, who has known, named only by his first and middle name, Scotty David, as soon as he came forward and gave these interviews, prosecutors in the case alerted the judge and said, we think there may need to be an inquiry. And the defence, for their parts, very quickly said that they would like to make a motion for a retrial. And they said that there were incontrovertible grounds for a retrial. There's not really any reason to think necessarily that this juror, Scotty David, might have deliberately misled the court. He said in interviews that he didn't really remember filling in the form and that he flew through it. And so you could imagine it being an inadvertent mistake. The big worry with any juror is that they wanted to be on a case. You don't want an activist juror who comes into the case without an open mind. Now, Scotty David has said he had an open mind. The thing that partly troubled people, I think, from his interviews was that he talked about it as a verdict for all victims. I was looking at her the entire time because I felt like I wanted to see what her reaction would be. And she looked forward and wasn't really looking around. And there was no emotion. It was just like she was a stone. Now, if the judge decides that Scotty David lied on his form, that's one thing. If she then decides that he lied on his form and that had she known the truth, he could be excluded because she was fearful that he was prejudiced, then it would lead her to, to conclude that she needed a new trial. And if, if that happens, presumably that means we're, we're back to square one. We'd have to go through the whole process again. Yes, I, I think all of us were a bit like, oh my gosh. I mean, it, it's, it's, so if that happened, I, I spoke to one lawyer who put it very well. He said, if, if there was a new trial, the advantage would go to the defense because he gave the example of supposing you had two comedians who were performing one night uh, in a show and for an hour, they both ad-libbed to each other. And then they were told to come back an hour later, and the first comedian had to say exactly the same thing as he'd said the first time. But the mm. other comedian could pre-write their responses, knowing what was coming. He said, that's, that's the scenario for, for the defense. They'll know exactly what the prosecution have. That said, it's a very high bar. Yeah. Do we know what the timeline is on this? Do we know when we might know if there will be another trial? So the defence had to make a motion this week requesting a new trial. The government response is, is due on February the 2nd, and then there's a defence reply February the 9th. So there'll presumably be a hearing after that. So, so that's ongoing. So if she wins the appeal, we end up with a retrial and we start again from scratch with a slight advantage to the defence this time. If she loses, 
what happens next for her? If she loses, the big question is whether she suddenly decides to try to cooperate with prosecutors who, who might want to bring cases against other people and, and does that in order to lessen her potential sentence. She would have to be giving them things that they can base new prosecutions on. But it's actually harder to bring cases against people that Maxwell's victims were trafficked to than it is to bring cases against the traffickers because we're dealing with federal laws in the case of trafficking. Whereas in the case of, say, sexual abuse, we're dealing with state laws which have statutes of limitations. So there are sort of limits on how useful Maxwell can be to the prosecutors and how much they'll be willing to give her in response. With that, when those deals are cut, I mean, just talk us through what could she be looking at? If if they found somebody they thought they could take to court, you know, the statute of limitations hadn't run out, they could plausibly charge somebody and she might be able to help. What would be the, the benefit for her? I mean, is she looking at sort of a shorter sentence? How soon might she be out of prison if she's useful? Well, the shorter sentence would be the big thing. I mean, she faces a cumulative total of 65 years. Now, she probably wouldn't be made to serve them consecutively. They'd probably perhaps be ordered to run concurrently. But just on one of the sex trafficking charges alone, that carries a maximum sentence of 40 years. So she faces a very long time in prison at the moment. The essential thing was she'd have to tell them everything she knows, you know, starting with the first time that you know she stole a sweet from a candy store. That's what one of the lawyers told me. <laughs> but wow. you know, so there can be no evasions. You have to say everything you know about anything that you've, you've seen. Can't be selective. She can't choose to protect certain people. Exactly. And so, uh, I mean, it, it, this all feels very speculative to me and, and, and somewhat unlikely. But if it were to happen, you can imagine that they would then say, well, actually, the defendant's been very helpful and we would recommend a shorter sentence for her in the light of her extraordinary cooperation. And well, we know that if Ghislaine Maxwell loses her appeal, she's facing effectively a lifetime behind bars. What's the scenario? What's the outcome for Prince Andrew? I mean, this is a civ- his is a civil case rather than a criminal one. What will his lawyers be worrying about now? What happens if he loses? What is he facing? I mean, it's money. It's damages. So I suppose the worries for Prince Andrew are he has to give a deposition. You give a deposition under oath. So you can be prosecuted for perjury if you've found to have lied. The federal prosecutors in New York said previously that they were anxious to question him and he kept indicating that he was willing to be questioned but then apparently kept not making himself available. So I suppose the the first worry for him is perhaps giving the deposition the possibility that that he is found to have committed perjury. But then of course in in the case, if if he loses the case, he, he would be exposed presumably to quite a large judgment by a New York jury who you can't imagine them necessarily taking a sympathetic view of his case. And here, I mean, we know the Queen has already stripped him of many of his positions within the military, his, some of his honorary titles, the title of HRH. If he does lose the case, or he decides to settle beforehand, if he does end up having to pay Virginia Giuffray a very large sum of money, do we think it will be the Queen who who is effectively funding it? Well, he's said to be selling this chalet in Switzerland that he owned. It would leave him with about $10 million. So you can imagine that money being used to settle a case with Giuffray. The other question for him is he faces these very high legal costs. 
I was talking with a uh, an attorney named Mitchell Epner, who's a former federal prosecutor, and he said that the full budget to take a case through to trial would be between four and six million, depending on how large his legal team is. And he thought that actually it might cost him about five million to settle the case. So, you know, there's certainly an argument for him that he would be better off settling the case than spending a, about the same amount of money trying to fight it and then potentially losing it and being exposed to another judgment. The other thing that Epner thought was that this stripping of titles and patronages would not convince any jury or any court in the United States that, that Prince Andrew didn't have the money to settle a judgment. That it would be widely assumed that the Queen would fund that and <laughs> that, that he would not be an empty pocketed defendant. Has the episode been damaging to the royal family, to Her Majesty the Queen? I don't believe it's been damaging to uh, the Queen at all. Has to me. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, The Times New York correspondent, Will Pavia. You can keep up with all of Will's reporting at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription or in print. The producer today was James Shield. The executive producer is Kate Ford. And sound design was by David Crackles. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.